So it's good to see y'all this morning. It's good to uh, be able to hug some necks, even if we're not supposed to do that anymore. Um, I'm glad to be able to continue doing that. When have we ever done what we were supposed to do, right? I don't anymore anyway. Um, but we are in the home stretch of this, uh, of this feeling sheepish series. And that's kind of crazy to say because if we're in the home stretch, uh, when, I, when we started this series, I said we're probably going to run it through Easter. And um, if we're in the home stretch, that means Easter is coming. And really, it's just kind of like three weeks away uh, that we are celebrating the resurrection together. And so that is an exciting thing. Um, but it's also like, where did the first quarter of the year go? Um, and so uh, I think we got a couple of more weeks in this. I think we can pull it off. There are some sheepy things that we haven't covered. And uh, this morning, we are going to get into a very uh, sheepy passage. Uh, lots of sheep, lots of shepherds involved. It is the, the chapter, uh, the 10th chapter of John. And for the first half of, of John chapter 10, this is Jesus basically like throwing out all kinds of images and metaphors and all kinds of things. Um, and as we talk about this, I'm just going to say it up front. I may say it again. Um, but as we talk about this, our tendency on these parables and, and these stories that Jesus tells is to go very literal. Like we're looking character for character. Who is this? What, what role are they playing? All that kind of stuff, right? Like, again, I'll talk about Revelation again. See Revelation. We're looking for who is the Antichrist. We're looking for those like specific, who is this person? Um, and I think sometimes when we do that, things get a little muddled um, and we can, we can get off track a little bit. And you'll see what I'm talking about this morning as we read this because Jesus has some mixed metaphors here that he's using all in the same breath. Um, maybe not the same breath, but in the same scene, okay? Um, and actually, as Jesus goes to clarify things, that's when it gets confusing. So imagine that. Um, so John chapter 10, let's just read the first part and, uh, and we'll see where we go with this. So chapter 10, verse one. Truly, truly, I say to you, that the one who does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep, but climbs up some other way, he is a thief and a robber. But the one who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep listen to his voice, and he calls his own sheep by his name and leads them out. And when he puts all his own sheep outside, he goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow because they know his voice. However, a stranger, they simply will not follow, but will flee from him, because they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus told them this figure of speech, but they did not understand what the things which he was saying to them meant, right? So we've got this, got this, uh, this little parable here um, in this first section, because I said it goes on. We got a lot of scripture to cover this morning. Um, but in verse one through six, Jesus gives us a couple of images. He throws them out there, okay? We'll just name them the door, the shepherd, and the, the, the thief robber, and you can include the sheep in there, right? Um, and as we look at this, um, when we don't take into account the whole thing, we're, we're just looking at this and we're going, okay, um, Jesus is giving this image, the door, right? And, and, and we come in through the door, and the idea of whoever comes in through the door is legitimate, okay? He's the shepherd. Um, how do you get into your house? Do you come through the window? No. Do you climb over the fence? No. You come through the gate. You go through the door. Why? Because it's your house. It's like, it's, it's your domain, um, unless you lock yourself out, which has been known to happen before to some of us. Um, you don't come through the window, right? You, you come through the front door. Um, you open the garage door. You go in that way, right? 
And so Jesus is saying, the one who is legitimate comes through the door. The one who is the shepherd comes through the door. Anybody else that comes over the fence uh, is, is questionable, right? They have questionable intentions. Um, if you are climbing over fences or over walls into property that is not yours, you probably don't have good intentions, right? You're probably gonna do something illegal or at least something that is, you don't want other people to know about, right? And that's what Jesus is saying. He's like, listen, the one who comes to, through the door of the sheepfold of this pen is legitimate. He's the shepherd and the sheep know him and they sheep follow him and, they, and, and they listen to his voice. Anybody else? They run from, strangers. We don't follow that guy, right? Um, and so he's doing this kind of a, a comparison thing and, uh, and giving us these images. And Jesus says the one who doesn't come through the door is a thief and a robber, okay? So Jesus is giving us this illustration. And at this point in history and, in, and at this point in life, we kind of understand where Jesus is going with this, right? Because Jesus is the shepherd. We, we know that, right? We, we kinda, we've had enough theological teaching to tell us that Jesus is the shepherd um, and that, you know what? He's legitimate. He's the one that we're going to follow. The sheep know his voice. And we kind of interpret that there, right? Even though it doesn't say it, Jesus doesn't give us that yet. Um, he just says, he's just given us this image. And the people there at that time, they don't understand it. They don't know what he meant, okay? Um, but we kind of get that image. Jesus is the shepherd. He comes through the door because this is his flock. These are his people. This is his fold. Um, the sheep know him. Jesus is a shepherd. Anybody else is a thief or a robber. They don't belong there. And it's pretty straightforward for us. Um, and it's pretty straightforward if we just take that section of scripture. Now, we go on because Jesus continues on and he explains things. The people are confused. They don't know what's going on. And so Jesus goes on. But just remember, Jesus is the shepherd coming for his sheep, but he needs to explain that to the people. So he does that by saying this, verse seven. So Jesus said to them again, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. Wait, what? Okay. All right. All those who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone who enters through me he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I came so that they would have life and have it abundantly. So are you confused yet? Because we understand Jesus is a shepherd, but then Jesus goes on and he says, I'm the door. Hmm. How can that be? Okay, we'll just, we'll just go with it, all right? So Jesus is the door, the door of the sheep. Anybody who enters through me will be saved. Okay, that makes sense. We'll go with Jesus on this, okay? It's, it's usually a good plan. Go with Jesus. Um, but it totally makes sense. We come into life through Jesus, and we come in and out of pasture. He says, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. So Jesus is the door. He's the, he's, he is life. He is, he is uh, the way we get into life. And the thief comes to steal life. So who's the thief? Well, the thief's the enemy, right? That's what we understand. Jesus comes to bring life and abundant life. The enemy brings, uh, comes to steal life, so that, that fits. We're getting somewhere here. Jesus the door, the devil the thief, but then who's the shepherd? Who's the shepherd in this image? All right, verse 11, let's go. Verse 11, I am the good shepherd. Wait a minute, the good shepherd. How is that possible? He said he was the door. But then he said, first we thought he was a shepherd and now he's the door, but now he's the shepherd again? I don't know. 
All right. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand, another character, who's that? Hired hand. Um, he was a hired hand and not a shepherd who is not the owner of the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters the flock. He flees because he's a hired hand and does not care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd and I know my own and my own know me just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice and they will become one flock with one shepherd. For this reason, the father loves me because I lay down my life so that I may take it back. No one has taken it away from me, but I lay it down on my own. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it back. This commandment I received from my father. Okay, so Jesus is the shepherd. Okay, I'm the good shepherd. Okay. The good shepherd protects his sheep because they are his own. With his, he protects them with his own life, unlike the hired hand who doesn't have any investment in this, like he's just hired to do a job. He doesn't really care about the sheep. Hired hand runs off when, when they get threatened. But Jesus says, not me. I'm the good shepherd. I lay down my life for the sheep. Now, what's the people's reaction to this? The people's reaction, verse 19, it says, Dissension occurred again among the Jews because of these words. Why? Many of them were saying he has a demon and is insane. <laughs> this man is insane. Is he the door or is he the shepherd? Are we the sheep? Who's the sheep? Who's the robber? Who's the hired hand? Who's the wolf? What are we talking about here, right? Why do you listen to him? Others were saying these are not the words of one who is demon possessed. A demon cannot open the eyes of those who are blind can it? So there's a lot of people that are like, you lost me, Jesus. I'm gone. I'm done. You're insane. You're crazy. The things you're saying don't make sense. Are you the door? Are you the sheep? I mean, are you the shepherd? All of those things. But then there's others who are like, wait a minute. I may not totally get what's going on here. I may not totally understand what he's saying, but I've seen proof right in front of me. A demon can't heal a blind man. And I saw him do it. In fact, I just saw him do it because the bigger context of this story is this is not just a teaching. This is a teaching that comes in response to Jesus healing a blind man. Um, you've heard, so you've probably heard of like the, the blind man where Jesus walks up to him and the disciples are like, um, who sinned, Jesus? Who's to blame for this? Whose fault is it? This, this guy is blind. Is it his fault or is it his parents' fault? Who sinned? And Jesus is like, you're missing it, guys. That's not the point of this interaction. I want you to see the glory of God in this, right? That's the scene that this teaching comes after, okay? So it's the same scene, and, and, and this teaching comes after or from that interaction um, with the blind man and the Pharisees and Jesus and all of this kind of a thing, right? So there's a lot going on, and there's a lot to consider. I get it. You're probably confused at this point, right? And that's kind of the point. Because when we take section by section paragraph by paragraph of scripture, and we just decide that this section means this, without the context of the bigger story, we can get into some trouble, okay? That's the point. And that's, but that's not the way this teaching works. And Jesus proves that when he goes from, I am the door, and then he also says, I am the shepherd. But he's like, listen, there are multiple things that I'm trying to convey to you in these verses, 
And we try and tidy it up, uh, or when we try and tie it, I, uh, up, tidy it up outside of the context of the whole thing, um, then we can get into some trouble. I think we need to look at this as the big picture. And we need to look at the big concepts that Jesus is trying to address with these things. So a couple of things. Number one, Jesus is the door, right? That's what he's saying. Like, listen, I am the door, okay? I am the door. He's making it very clear. I am the door. Anyone who enters by me will be saved through Jesus. He will go in and he will go out. He will find pasture. He will find shelter. He will find protection. He will find beautiful open fields. I am the door, okay? Through Jesus is what he's saying. Through me. Jesus came so that his sheep may enter through him and have life, and not just have a mundane life, have an abundant life. That's what he's saying, an abundant life. Jesus is the door. He is the only one. There's only one door, and anybody else who comes in by any other way is a thief or a robber, he says, okay? It's through Jesus, not anything else. Any other way is the way of thieves and robbers. I am the door, okay? Sheep can't come in over the wall. They come through the door, through Jesus. Anything else is the way of thieves and robbers, and thieves come to steal, kill, and destroy. I came to give life. Jesus is the door. Got it? Second big concept. Jesus is the good shepherd, okay? And we might say, wait a minute, so Jesus is the door or he's the good shepherd? He can't be both. And Jesus is like, when you pin it down to that, you're missing the points that I'm trying to give you, okay? Because we say, well, a door can't be a shepherd and a shepherd can't be a door and a door can't open and let himself in. It doesn't work like that. And Jesus is like, just get the big concepts, right? I am a door. I am the door that leads to life, abundant life. I am the only door that leads to abundant life. And number two, Jesus is the good shepherd and not just a shepherd. He is the shepherd and not just the shepherd, he is the good shepherd, the good shepherd. And a good shepherd does everything within his power for the life of the sheep. He does whatever is necessary, even to the point of laying his life down, even to the point of dying so that the sheep can have life. He's doing everything that was, is within his power for the life of the sheep, even to the point of death, laying his life down. These people that Jesus is talking to, like, I mean, they don't understand what that means. Remember, they're in this in real time. Stuff hasn't happened yet. They're like, what's he talking about? I'm the good shepherd. Is he, what's he, what does that mean? What does it mean that a shepherd lays down his life? If he says he's the shepherd, is, how is he laying down his life? They don't get it, right? But we understand what that meant. We understand that it wouldn't be very long before he actually went and laid down his life, that he would go to the cross for us, right? For his sheep. He would do what was necessary. And we also know that it wouldn't be very long before he took his life back up in the resurrection, okay? And Jesus does it willingly. He says, I do it willingly. There wasn't anyone who was gonna make him do it. He did it willingly. He did it because he loved us. He loves his sheep. He laid down his life. And here's the good part. He laid down his life willingly, he says, so that I can take it back up willingly. I'm doing this so that I can raised from the dead again. Well, you say, what's the point? The point is the sheep, right? The point is the sheep, us. 
He lays down his life willingly so that he may take it back up. Jesus, in this moment, is predicting the resurrection. He's saying, listen, this, this death is happening. I'm going to the cross when it's time, but I'm rising in victory when it's time. I lay it down willingly. Nobody's taking it from me, but I'm laying it down so that I may take it back up again because the abundant life of the sheep depends on it, okay? The abundant life of the sheep depends on it. He is the door to abundant life. And so you can kind of see how Jesus is like, listen, I am the door and here's how the door works is almost the illustration that he's giving. I am the door. You find life through me. Here's how you find life through me. I'm willingly laying down my life for you and I'm taking it back up so that you can have abundant life. It's almost like a example and here's a specific example, kind of a thing that he's doing now. Jesus is laying out the plan of salvation in this moment. The plan for abundant life in him. The people don't get it, but he is. And the best part about this is he's saying, listen, I have the authority to do this. It is under my authority to do this for you. I have the authority to lay down my life. I have the authority to take it back. The only person who has the authority of death and life is God. Jesus is saying, that's me. I've got the authority for this. I can do this. He's making a claim in that moment. In all of this, remember, Jesus is using these I am statements, okay? I am. And in the book of John, Jesus uses seven I am statements, okay? And every time he uses one of these statements, the religious people lose their minds. They, they can't handle it, right? It makes the Pharisees and the religious people blow a gasket. He says, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door of the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. Those are the, those are the seven statements that he says that are the I am statements, Okay? And when he's making those statements, the people go crazy. They can't handle it because he's claiming to be God. He's claiming to be I am. That's the name that God gave Moses when Moses said, who do I say sent me? I am. He's making that claim. He's like, I am, okay? I am the door. God is making the way for you, okay? I am the door. I am the resurrection and the life. It's only by him. He's claiming that authority. I am the door to life. I am the good shepherd. I have the authority to lay down my life and I have the authority to take it back up because I am. And what's the people's response? This man has lost it. This man is insane. They literally say he is either demon possessed or he is insane. He's not right. He is insane. And I think they're responding to that because of this I am thing, that he's claiming to be God. But I think when you look at the bigger picture that's going on here, they're also going crazy because some of the other stuff that he's making, some of the other claims that he is making. And I think we find the crux of that in verse 10. 
This is a very quotable verse for us, right? Jesus says, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came so that they would have life and have it abundantly. We like that verse. I love that verse, right? Because Jesus is saying, I didn't come so you could have ordinary life. I came so that you would have abundant life, abundant life. And we like the juxtaposition of having Jesus giving that abundant life and having the thief that comes to steal that life. And that just totally makes sense that we say the thief is the enemy, right? The thief is the devil, Satan, however you want to say it. That's, that's what makes sense to us because, because it's the opposite, right? Jesus comes to bring life. The enemy comes to steal life. It's very quotable for us. It reminds us that Jesus uh, has, has accomplished this thing, what he has done, what he has given us, and it tells the enemy you don't win, okay? You don't win. But I got to reading this, this scripture as a whole, including the blind man and the interaction that this conversation is sparked from. And I think the religious people and the Pharisees are upset about something more than Jesus saying, I am, okay? They're upset about something more than, than, you know, this man is crazy, don't listen to him. And the idea of the thief and the robber is, I think, one of the things they're responding to. It's mentioned a couple of times in here, not just in John 10, 10, but also in the very first verse that we read in John chapter 10. Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, the one who does not enter by the door of, into, the she- into the fold of the sheep, but climbs up by some other way, he is a thief and a robber. And what does the thief do? Thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy life. The thief and the robber is up to no good. Certainly, the thief and the robber are not looking for abundant life for the sheep, right? So who's the thief? Who's the thief? What's the thief here? Like I said earlier, we automatically assume the thief is the enemy. Thief is the devil because it's the opposite of Jesus, right? But that's not what Jesus says. Jesus says, any who do not enter by the door is a thief or a robber. I'm the door. Anything else that does not enter by Jesus is a thief or a robber. In verse eight, he says, all those who came before me are thieves and robbers. Have you ever read that? All those who came before me are thieves and robbers. What does that mean? The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy trying to destroy the abundant life that Jesus is giving. Pause and think about it for just a second. What could that possibly mean? The one who does not enter by the door, by Jesus, but by some other way, he is a thief and a robber. All those who came before me are thieves and robbers because they didn't come through Jesus. I am the door. I am the door to abundant life by laying down my life and by taking it back up again. That's how you get abundant life. Not just life, but abundant life. Jesus is saying any other means of you trying to find life robs you of the abundant life that I'm trying to give you. What Jesus is saying in John 10.10 
It's not about the enemy taking your abundant life or challenging you and giving you a difficult time. What Jesus is saying is that trying to find abundant life through anything else other than Jesus or in addition to Jesus is number one, impossible. Not just impossible, it's counterintuitive. It's counter, it's against what Jesus is trying to do. He's trying to give you life. And anything you're adding to that is the opposite. It's not coming through him. It's coming around him, okay? This is Jesus saying, when you trust religion, when you trust your effort, when you trust your law keeping, your hope for good behavior, when you trust that, when you trust anything other than Jesus and his death and resurrection and the work that he did for you, it takes away from the abundant life that he's trying to give you. There is no other way to have eternal abundant life than to simply accept what Jesus has done, what he has already accomplished. Any other way is a thief or a robber. And remember, this, is a, this, this teaching is a part of a bigger scene that's happening, right? It, this is in response to this healing of the blind man. And I want you to see what they said, okay? Remember, keep it in mind, anything Anything not entering through Jesus, through the door, is a thief or robber. All those who came before me, Jesus' words, all those who came before me are thieves and robbers. John chapter 9, verse 26. So they said to him, this is the blind man, okay? The Pharisees, they've actually already done this, and you'll find that. But they, they bring this blind man that Jesus healed in front of them. And so they said to this blind man, what did he, Jesus, do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he answered them and he said, I told you already and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? You do not want to become his disciples too, do you? And they spoke abusively to him and said, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he is from. Are you catching this? We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses. And second later, seconds later, Jesus is saying, anyone who doesn't enter through this door, pointing to himself, is a thief or a robber. Everyone who came before me is a thief and a robber. Those are Jesus' words. Are you a disciple of Jesus? No, we are disciples of Moses. All that came before me are a thief and a robber. So Moses was a thief? Jesus is saying Moses, the, the teachings of Moses, that's a thief? All the law and the prophets, that's, that's a thief? Jesus is not saying Moses was a thief. Moses was a man of God who followed God, who met with God face to face, who was given the law and, and, and led the people of Israel in that way of relating to God. Moses didn't destroy life. But Moses related to God under the law. Disciples of Moses and everyone before Jesus related to God 
based on the law and based on their effort in keeping the law. And if you choose to be a disciple of Moses, meaning you're relating to God on the terms that Moses related to God, then you are being robbed of the abundant life that Jesus offers because Moses and everyone outside of Jesus related to God on their own terms, on their own merit, on their own effort, on their own ability to keep God happy. That's religion. You can do that without Jesus. We've talked about that before. That's religion, and it includes the law of Moses. And Jesus is saying that will suck abundant life right out of you. It will steal the life of freedom and grace and the truth of your righteousness and the joy of having a doting father right out from under you. Pull it right out. It's yours. You have the freedom because of Christ, but you won't be living free. It's yours. You have the grace, but you won't be living in it because you'll be hoping for approval based on your actions and your ability to keep this law. It's yours. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus who can boldly approach the throne of grace, but you'll be groveling at his feet like the worm that you think you are. Jesus came to give you abundant life when he died and he rose again from the grave. And he's saying, this is the only way you can find it through me. Anything else is lacking and it's going to leave you lacking. Adding anything to the finished work of Jesus will only take away from the life that he wants for you to have in him. And when you have that understanding of scripture, let me just say, when you have that understanding of the words of Jesus, another thing within this scripture makes sense. Jesus says, the sheep know the voice of the shepherd, but they don't know the voice of a stranger. They don't know the voice of the one who climbs over the wall, who is a thief and a robber. They don't know it, and they run from it. They don't listen to it. So John 10 says, when he puts all, or verse four, when he puts all his own sheep outside He goes ahead of them and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. However, a stranger, they simply will not follow, but will flee from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus told them this figure of speech, but they did not understand the things that he was saying. They did not know the voice of strangers. When you fall into abundant life in Jesus, trusting only him and his finished work for your righteousness and for your life, And somebody comes at you with religious ideas? Nope, I'm going the other way. I don't even recognize that voice. I'm not interested in that. I don't want any of that. I don't know who that is. Get away from me. I'm running the other way. That is not the voice of my shepherd. That is not the voice of my heavenly father. My shepherd laid down his life for me and he took it back up for me in order me to have life in him. And that's what I'm trusting. I'm trusting that that's enough. Don't come at me with your religion because I don't even recognize that voice anymore. That's what they're saying. I flee the other way. In Galatians 5, probably one of my favorite chapters of the Bible, 
Paul is saying it like this. He says, it was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to the yoke of slavery. He's not talking about chains, right? Not real chains that rattle, not on your hands and feet. He's talking about, Paul is actually talking about living subject to the law of Moses. That's what he's talking about. And trusting that rather than trusting that Christ has made you right and righteous through that door. He's saying you can walk in freedom in that relationship, trusting him and trusting his work to make you new. Verse two, look, I, Paul, tell you that if you have yourself circumcised, Christ will be of no benefit to you. If you're trusting your ability and your effort to keep laws and have God approve you, approve of you in that way, what good is Jesus? That's what he's saying. What good is Jesus if you're trusting yourself to make it right with, with God? What good is Jesus if you're depending on your religious effort for your own approval? Is Jesus a safety net? Come on, he came for more than that. He came for more than a safety net for when you mess up. Verse three. And I testify again to every man who has himself circumcised that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You have been severed from Christ. You who are seeking to be justified by the law, you have fallen from grace. You fell from grace. You ran from it, right? You left it. You are not trusting grace. You are trusting the law and your ability to keep it. And you've been separated from the work of Jesus because you're choosing that instead of trusting Jesus. He's no good to you if you're trusting your own efforts. For we, through the Spirit by faith, are waiting for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything but faith working through love. Our hope is in the righteousness of Christ. Abundant life in Christ comes through trusting him and his finished work and his righteousness that is now you. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Don't let, this is what Paul is saying, don't let abundant life be taken from you. Don't let the freedom be stolen from you by a thief or a robber of religion. Religion, even with, the, with its best, the best of intentions, only steals from what you have in Christ. It doesn't add to it. Because what you have in Christ is total freedom. You're right. You're new. Anything else is saying, meh, maybe not. Eh, there's a little to fix. I don't have it done yet. Religion doesn't come through Jesus. Religion doesn't need Jesus. It tries to get around Jesus. It tries to add what Jesus did add to what Jesus did, to come over the wall. It doesn't need, or excuse me, it doesn't lead to any kind of full or abundant life in Christ. It leaves you wanting and needing and hoping for more because you're not enough. And Jesus said, I did it. I am the door. And here's how the door works. I lay down my life for you. I take up my life for you. And now you have life. 
Abundant life only comes in Christ, by Christ. It's your life in him. Don't ever let it be taken from you. When you hear a voice that is not the voice of the shepherd who paid it all for you and gave you all the life you could ever hope for in him, run the other way. Run the other way. Because anything other than Jesus and only Jesus is a thief who will steal that abundant life from you. If you buy into it. More than half of this book is pre-Jesus, right? Pre-Jesus is life on earth, not pre-Son of God. He's all the way through it. But we relate to God through the covenant of Jesus, through the covenant of the resurrection, okay? And if we try to relate to God the way Zechariah did, or we try to relate to God the way Ezekiel did, or we try to relate to God the way, find a name, Solomon did, then we're not relating to God the way Jesus made possible, right? And we're settling for something less. We're settling for something less. You're saved through Jesus, right? You're saved through Jesus. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that, that, that people who are practicing this stuff are, 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 are heathens or whatever. I'm saying they're not receiving the life that has been given to them because they're trying to do something else. Okay? And Jesus said it himself. Any who came before me are thieves and robbers. He knew Moses face to face. He knows what he's saying. Okay? He knew the law. He handed it to Moses when the children of Israel said, mm, not so sure about that whole thing you're offering to us. We'll take the law instead. Moses, you go up, you talk to him, you bring back what he tells us to do. That's the relationship we want. We don't have that. We have a relationship where the God of the universe and the person of the Holy Spirit lives right here because he's made us new and he can now live here. He couldn't before, now he does because Jesus laid down his life and he raised from the dead again. Why don't you stand up to your feet? There is a, there is a way in which this feels risky, right? Because what if we're wrong <laughs> and we do have to do all that stuff? I think it's worth the risk because I understand what Jesus has done for me. And what Jesus has done is says, I'm doing something new. I'm doing something new. I'm making your heart right. I'm making your heart new. I'm giving you new life. I'm giving you life that was not possible before me. And I don't want to settle for anything less than that life. And so I'm trusting him for that work. Lord God, we just thank you for your goodness. We praise you for your wisdom. Praise you for your truth, for the words that, that you've given us uh, uh, in, in the scripture. 
for the way that we see you working in the Old Testament through those people and, 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 and interacting with people when, when we're not right or when people were not right, God, and, and we see you working in those ways. But God, to settle for less than what you did in Jesus, we don't want that. We don't want the Mosaic Covenant. We want the Jesus Covenant. Lord, help us to trust you more and more for us and for our lives. Help us to trust you that you are good and and that, that when you say something, it's true. And you've said we can find abundant life in Jesus. And we're going to trust that. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness. Amen.